All right, everybody, welcome. Lesson six today. So those are available over here. If you didn't get one when you came in, you get, and Rob has them here as well, right? Okay, good, thank you. All right, and I think we'll have some others wander in uh, as well, but welcome to you guys. And you see at the top of page 26 that our subject today is Providence, Everybody Works for God. And two weeks ago, I wasn't here last week, but two weeks ago we were talking about the sovereignty of God. But one of the key ways that God accomplishes His sovereign plan is through providence. God's providence. One way to think about God's providence is God acting through secondary agency. You know, in miracles, God works in direct agency. So God does a direct miracle by His power. But in His sovereignty, He controls everything that's happening in His world. And of course, He knows every action that's going to take place, every reaction, what's going to cause then a third reaction and all the way down the line, all the way into eternity. So God can so control His world because of His knowledge and power that He can use secondary agency, He can use other means to accomplish his ends. And he often does that through, through providence. Now, one of the, there are many reasons that it's good for us to understand God's providence, but one of them is this, that it's mostly what God does. <laughs> and so if you don't have an appreciation for God's providence, you're going to miss the mass of what it is God's actually doing in his world and in your life. If you're regularly looking for a direct act of God, then you're going to find yourself disappointed. He could do that if he so chose, but he has not chosen to run his world through miracle, primarily, but rather through providence. And what I've found is that people, too many regular Christians, don't have an appreciation for the fact that God is doing things and behind the things that are done all the time. And so we are mostly thankful when we see what we deem to be a God thing. Oh, that's a, that's a God thing. And what we mean by that being a God thing is there's a whole bunch of providence coming together at the same time that makes it really obvious to us. And so we, and so we label it a God thing. And I would encourage you to think about God things being pretty much everything. <laughs> because God's behind everything that's happening. And it won't diminish in the least, or shouldn't diminish in the least, your appreciation then for God's in involvement in your life. It should enhance it. Because He's involved in more than just what we call God things. What we call these sort of, identify as sort of special moments. And so him being behind everything, working through secondary, tertiary agency, means that he is behind. God is the good, certainly, but the bad and the ugly. And even the bad and the ugly can only come by God's appointment. And God is always using all of those things and all the agency to, to cause it to happen for ultimately good purposes. Now that's what page 26 then is about. 
R.C. Sproul, in his commentary on Romans, explains that one of his professors used to distinguish between four different kinds of actions, good, good, bad, good, bad, bad, and good, bad. And Sproul, by the way, has a book, an excellent book, on providence, and it's called The Invisible Hand. Um, they don't have a Kindle version. I have a, I, I've had for years the printed version, but that's all you can get, and I think it's out of print, but it's really an excellent book, and he describes some of this in there as well. So if you're interested in the subject, that's a... Uh, that's an excellent book, and it's easier to read. It's not terribly large. John Piper has a book called Providence that is like that thick. So if you just really are a glutton for punishment, then get, then get that one. But here are these, these four described. Now, good, good means that the, the, second, the second word in each of these four pairings so the good, good, bad, good, bad, bad, good, bad. The second word is what, is what the result is. So you've got good, good. So the result, the second word, is good. And the first word is describing the intentions of the agents. So you have good intentions that resulted in good results. And you know, good actions display the sort done by Christ, by God you know, directly. You know, God cannot do evil, but He controls evil. So God can only do, actually, He only does directly that which is, that which is ultimately good. So there's, there's good good, but then there is bad good, meaning good comes out of bad. And in a fallen world, that's very often the way it, it is. That there's a lot of bad, there's a lot of difficult, there's a lot of trial, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ugly, there's a lot of uh, hard circumstances. So these actions are accompanied by the intention for virtue and obedience to God, but nevertheless contain shortcomings and, and failures. Such actions are in keeping with what Calvin called civic virtue, in which righteousness is achieved even by the unregenerate pagan. Even an unbeliever can through enlightened self-interest, stumble at times upon the good and do good, though not of a heavenly sort. Sometimes who drives his car according to the speed limit and is obedient to the civil magistrates, doing a good thing, even though not by God's standard. God weighs actions in terms of both outward conformity to His law and inward motive. The pagan may have external righteousness. He may drive his car according to the speed limit. But the reason he drives his car at 55 is not that he has a desire to please the Lord, he's trying to escape a speeding ticket. We find people driving at 55 on the interstate simply because they like to drive 55. We find some people driving 55 and a 35 or even a 25. From time to time, their outward behavior corresponds to the law, but not from any virtuous intent. That's bad good. Good not vote motivated from a pure heart. Then actions that are bad, bad. Actions are so bad that no virtue is even mixed in. Pure transgression, outwardly motivated by hostile heart to God inwardly. These are undertaken by Satan and, and fallen angels. And then you've got good-bad. It's easy to understand those first three categories. The more difficult one is this one. When certain actions take place, they're simply evil. Nevertheless, under the providence of God, 
under his sovereignty over human events, he has the power to bring good out of them. That's a glorious thing that we can experience as Christians. Everything we are called upon to suffer, even things that are truly bad, are nevertheless used by God for our ultimate good. Viewed from a proximate perspective, they're bad. There's no redemptive virtue in them. But from the ultimate perspective, it's good that they're happening because God's using them for His ultimate purpose. And that's critical to grasp if we're to understand anything of the providence of God. So that's similar to those two lenses that I talked about two weeks ago. Remember, God has the narrow lens where He sees the thing as it is. And the thing is, if it's bad, He calls it bad. And in Scripture, He'll call things evil and bad and all of that. He sees them like we do through the narrow lens. And all we have is the narrow lens. But He has the widest possible lens, a second one as well. And in that second lens, He's able to see the connections between that thing and everything else that He's achieving in His world. And he can say that I am working then all things together for good, in the words of Romans 8.28. So here are some definitions. Uh, the word providence points to God seeing to, seeing to the universe. So when we say something like, I'll see to that, we'll mean I make, I'll make sure it gets done. And God sees to the universe. One of the best outcomes... Or one, of the best, uh, one of the best definitions, I should say, from, comes from the 27th question of the Heidelberg Catechism. Now, you guys know what a catechism is. A catechism uh, is not a bad thing, by the way. We, we Baptists, you know, we pride ourselves on not being organized. So when people say, I don't believe in organized religion, just tell them you're Baptist. <laughs> so nobody ever accuses us of being organized or having curricula or any of that kind of thing. But the truth is, uh, you know, an ordered curriculum uh, and a catechism being part of it can actually be a good thing. Because a catechism uh, comes just from the word for teaching, and it's just a way to teach. And it teaches in a question and answer format. So it'll ask a, a question, and then here's the answer that if you're going through catechism, uh, Lutheran catechism, Catholic catechism, there are Baptist catechisms as well, believe it or not. And you're memorizing the, uh, what we believe to be the biblical answer to that question. So this is a Reformed catechism, the Heidelberg Catechism. It's very deep. It's very, very good if you want to look it up online. But here's the 27th, and the 27th question is about what's the providence of God. And here's the answer. The almighty, everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures, and so governs them that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, yea, all things come not by chance, but by His fatherly hand. It's a beautiful way to, to say it. Um, and the 28th question is, you know, what does it, the providence of God mean for us? And it's got this amazing answer to that, too, that involves a, a line that says, apart from the providence of God, we could not so much as move that everything happens because God's involved, involvement in it. So it doesn't happen by chance. So there's no chance going on in your life. This is truth for life. We're trying to apply these things. So I hope you'll come away from two weeks ago and today knowing there's no chance stuff happening in your life. Uh, there's nothing that's taking God by surprise. Even the difficult things that are happening in, in your life. Sproul wrote a book called Not a Chance. And uh, he's got 
he's got a few paragraphs in there uh, where he talks about something I heard him say live. Back in the mid-90s, uh, he and Piper were both in Grand Rapids, and they were talking on the topic of Providence. And uh, so it was, it was quite an excellent conference, and I went to hear them. And he describes there, he described there what he says in this book, not, not a chance. He told the story of talking to a professor at Harvard, a philosophy professor. And this philosophy professor said, I think things just happen by chance. And Sproul said, what's that? Well, just chance, just, just chance. Well, what is it? How high is it? How wide is it? How much does it weigh? What's, what are its dimensions? And the guy says, well, it's not, a, it's not that kind of thing. It's not a thing. He said, it's not a thing. He said, it's no thing. And Sproul said, say it a little faster. It's nothing. Say it faster. It's nothing. <laughs> and his, his point is, you know, chance is not a thing in God's world. There is no thing that is by chance. And to, and to claim chance is nothing uh, in, its, in itself. Now, what's the Bible say about all of this? We saw two weeks ago a lot about God's sovereignty, but then his providence is how he, chiefly how he carries out that sovereignty. And there are a number of biblical texts about that. Here's Psalm 148. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures, and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind, fulfilling his word. The picture of the psalmist here is that when a stormy wind blows, it's fulfilling the word of God. Fire there means lightning. Hail, snow, clouds, and stormy wind are fulfilling his word. Behind it is what God intends to, to happen. So, you know, a few weeks ago, we got the ice storm. We got all the junk that, you know, that happens with it. All the inconvenience, or perhaps worse, uh, you know, I, I don't know of any injuries or... Well, it would have been fine, but you introduced yourself as you came through the door. <laughs> uh, but, you know, Bet, uh, Pete and Betty Belich, uh, they're out of their house. They're in a, still living in a hotel because they, uh, they had a power surge go through their entire house and burn up wires in, in it. And thank, but thank the Lord they weren't, they weren't hurt. And this happened because, you know, they had a wire down in their backyard laying on a tree. Pete's got a video of flames shooting intermittently out of this wire in their backyard. And then as they're watching DTE and the fire department work on all this, they hear audibly this rush, this surge of electricity go through their house. So, you know, I don't know how much it's going to cost or how long it's going to take, but yeah. So thankfully they're not hurt, but you know, it's, that's bad, that's inconvenient, no good, right? And a lot of people were inconvenienced uh, during, during that time. But God has purposes in, in all of that. And behind all of it, using secondary causation, using the winds, God is accomplishing His purposes. In the deep, Psalm 135, whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and on earth, in the seas, and all of the deeps. God does according to His will in the deep. God's ruling the top of mountain ranges in Asia that no man's ever been to. 
He's ruling the bottoms of the oceans. Now just think about that for a bit. What's going on in the bottom of the ocean? Yeah, you know, yeah, there's sunken boats down there. <laughs> uh, but what, what is happening out there? I don't, I don't have any, any clue. And most of us don't have any clue what's going on down there. It's a whole world of its own. It's just a, another world that we're not able to have access to. And we've cataloged uh, lots of thousands of weird fish, a few thousand species of, of weird fish, but we really don't have a clue what all's, what's happening down there. And God rules the bottom of the Pacific and the Atlantic for His good pleasure. And He's in charge of all of those, those weird fish, and they swim this way because He says to, and they swim that way because God controls all of, all of that. So there's, there's the deep. He's ruling, second line of that paragraph, bottom paragraph, the outer reaches of space, all for his own good pleasure. And maybe the angels are watching and enjoying. God is a real person, gets real delights from the wonders that he creates and controls in the deeps where nobody else is watching. So God gets delight out of seeing what God does. He steps back and says, pretty good. <laughs> and who's he in competition with? Nobody, right? And so the highest thing to which he can aspire is his own character, his own glory. And then to display that character, he displays it in his works and in his creation. And so the heavens declare the glory of, the glory of God. And God looks at it and God takes great pleasure, pleasure in it. And in the winds, the waves, the lightning, top of page 28. Psalm 135 again. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. The wind from his storehouses. You know, the apostles hadn't quite got this. Learned this lesson. Remember as fishermen when they would have these winds that would come up on the Sea of Galilee, and they were notorious winds that could come up quickly, and they were very violent. And Jesus, you know, is in the boat with them. You guys know the story in Luke chapter 8. And he's in the, he's in the boat with them, but uh, he's sleeping. And they're terrified. We're going to die. And so they rush over, and they wake him up, and they say, are you a Calvinist? <laughs> you know, it's the deal with you. You just act like God's going to take care of this. And of course, that's exactly how he acts. And it says they were, they were afraid. They were afraid of, the, of what was going to happen to them. And then Jesus is awakened, and he says, you remember, peace be still. And immediately the wind stops. And then the Bible says, here's the King James, and they were sore afraid. Now they're more afraid. They were afraid of the wind. Now we're afraid of who this guy is. If he can do that, he can do anything. Now it's designed for them to be comforted, not afraid. Right? But they understand that they are in the presence of someone wholly other than them in their sin in their limitations. 
Jesus looked for all the world like one of them, but he's demonstrating and demonstrates to them over and over that he's more than that. Yes, he's human, fully human. He's also fully God. And so he demonstrates that, and as a result of that, they are not just afraid, now they are, they're sore afraid. So, top of page 28, God rebukes the wind with his word. If it's blowing too hard, he just says to the wind, slow down. Just like a dog, just like a pet, stay, fetch. God commands the wind. You guys remember the book of Job, and the story of Job, and then all that happened to him, and then his friends come, his three friends. And his three friends are not a whole lot of help now. Two of the three in particular are rebuked by God at the end of the book. One of them is not. And the one that's not is Elihu uh, here. Uh, and Elihu, he's uh, the good one, said this about God's control of the weather and the natural world in Job 37. He, God, says to the snow, fall on the earth, and to the rain, shower. Be a mighty downpour so that everyone he has made may know his work. He stops all people from their labor. The animals take cover. They remain in their dens. The tempest comes out from its chamber, the cold from the driving winds. The breath of God produces ice, and the broad waters become frozen. He loads the clouds with moisture. He scatters his lightning through them. At his direction, they swirl around over the face of the whole earth to do whatever he commands them. He brings the clouds to punish people or to water his earth and show his love. So here's Elihu giving some good theology, some accurate theology about what it is that God is, is doing. Now in verse 7 there, it says, So that everyone that he has made may know his work, he stops all people from their labor. If you read that in a different translation, like the New American Standard, instead of it, he stops people from their labor, it says he closes their hand so that they can't, so that they can't work. So that it becomes a, a helpless hand. It can't, uh, it can't do anything. It can't hold on to anything. And so it's indicating if God controls snow and rain and wind, then the working hands of, of people that are the means of making a living and producing and getting are completely dependent on God. So this is an agrarian society where people, most people had to grow their stuff. And so his hands are just going to close up if God holds the rain back, then there's nothing you're going to be able to do with your hand to make it, to make it happen. And so I think that's what this closing up of the hand or stopping people from their work idea is. Now why does God, why does God do all of this? Why does God guide the, the lightning and the moisture and the clouds and the ice? Well, in verse 13 there, it says, He brings the clouds to punish people or to water His earth and show His love. So, how do you know which one it is? <laughs> right? You can, have, you can have something happen in your life and without a without a, uh, a revelation from God, without a direct word from God, you won't know exactly why God is causing, allowing this thing at this time in your life. And a lot of people spend a lot of time worrying themselves about that. Hey, why is God allowing this stuff to happen? Is God sending me a message? 
Is God punishing? Is God punishing me for something? He, he might be, but you'll have no way to know that. Outside of revelation from God, which, by the way, outside of Scripture, you're not going to get. Then you're not, you're not going to know. So what should you do? You have some you know, adverse thing going on in your life. God could be correcting, rebuking. So it's a really good time for you to search yourself, search your life, and say, Lord, what do I have going on here that I need to change? And it's a great time for you to adjust your values, your behavior, your thinking to God's as given in, given in Scripture. So that's good for us to do, all of us to do, often. And God uses these kinds of things in our lives to, to move us toward that, to remind us of that. But uh, having done that, then say, Lord, I know you've got this. And I know you've got something that you're doing that is ultimately good in this. So it can be for punishing, correcting, rebuking. It can be the same thing, rain, that is going to be adverse for one person, maybe a blessing for another person. So it may be to show his water is earth and show his, his love. But here's the ultimate purpose for which God does all of what he does, and that is coming to know God, middle of page 28. Verse 7 says, So that everyone he has made may know his work. He does these things. And all this talk about weather and all of God's providential activity in the weather, the issue is coming to know God. Snow is meant to help you know God. Michigan winters with blue painful fingers are meant to help you know God. All right, so let's just stop there for a minute because that's hard for us to, that's hard for us to get in the midst of January and February. Then you slide into March and you're thinking, okay, we've seen the last of it. And then bam, another, right? And so it's hard for me. And, it, and I know it's hard for you. It's hard for all of us. But I need to be reminded, you need to be reminded that when those meteorological things happen, that God is behind those. And God's ultimate design in everything he does is that we may know him. You know, so Kim, when she sees the snow, she gets up and she goes, oh, it's so beautiful. She always does that. Oh, it's so beautiful. And I'm going, you don't shovel anything. <laughs> That's why you think it's beautiful, okay? How you see it depends on the heart you bring to it, right? So Kim sees it. She's bringing that heart to it because she's got no cares about it. It's beautiful. I got a bunch of cares about it, okay? And so, you know, I have to be reminded that it's beautiful because I'm going to have to go shovel this thing. And I haven't broken down and gotten a snowblower still. So, so it's going to be shoveling. But, you know, if you have kids, they bring a different heart to a snowstorm, don't they? Oh, yeah, snow day, yes, right? So, or if you're a teacher, oh, yeah, a teacher too, nodding her head. But behind it all, we all, whatever heart we're bringing to it, need to remind ourselves, hey, all of this says something about the grandeur of God. The heavens are telling the glory of God. Winter heavens, summer heavens, dark heavens, everything under the heavens are meant to declare the glory of God including his punishment and, and love. So the poet William Cooper 
It's pronounced Cooper, spelled Cowper, C-O-W-P-E-R. And he wrote uh, some hymns, that uh, old hymns, uh, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. That's, uh, William, that's William Cooper. But he was subject to fits of depression. One day he ordered a cab and he told the driver to take him to London Bridge. Soon a dense fog, a dense London fog, settled on the city. The cabbie wandered around for two hours. He thought he could find the way home. He admitted he was lost and Cooper finally asked him if he thought he could find the way home. The cabbie thought that he could and in another hour landed him at his door. When Cooper asked what the fare would be, the driver felt that he shouldn't take anything since he had not gotten his uh, fare to the, his destination. Cooper insisted, saying, never mind that. You've saved my life. I was on my way to throw myself off of the London Bridge. He went into that house and he wrote one of his hymns, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. That's God's love and kindness in the secondary, secondary causation. Now it works the other way too, right? You know, on the Titanic, it worked the other way. And, and people were not spared uh, through that. Henry the... Henry IV is a Shakespearean historical drama. It tells the story of King Harry, the English king, going over to France and fighting the French. He was vastly outnumbered on this one particular battle. The numbers were just incredibly imbalanced. One of the scenes has Harry kneeling down and beseeching God that his providence would have mercy upon them. The next day, the battle engages. It's a bloody scene, and as it ends, the British are triumphant. The numbers were something like 25,000 French dead and a couple dozen English dead. King Harry makes his soldiers swear that they will not boast in this victory because it's so manifestly a work of, of providence, and a man will be shot with bow and arrow if he boasts. The two scenes at uh, the end of, of this are gripping. One was the scene of him meeting with his soldiers, hearing the numbers and saying, God has wrought a great victory for Britain today. The other was the song that the soldiers began to sing. This was the most powerful moment in, in the movie. As they begin to walk across the field, just strewn with bodies and blood, they begin to sing in Latin, Non nobis domini, non nobis sed nomini, tuo da gloriam. That's Psalm 115 in verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Now, the significance of providence for that scene is earlier during the battle. You've got these utterly outnumbered soldiers, and the way they've set themselves up is the bowmen are on their knees and with their bows way behind the lines as the horses are smashing into others. And these terrible battles that existed before we had nice clean bullets to shoot people with, they're just hacking each other to pieces. And the bowmen couldn't see. They just knew that the enemies were out there. And so the leader would instruct a fire. And what you see in this movie is it looked like 5,000 arrows. The arrows looked like rain. They just go and they're landing at random on the enemy. 25,000 died. 
And who decides where the arrows land? When these guys can't even, can't even see it. Now, that's a, that's a Shakespeare movie. There's actually, in 1 Kings uh, chapter 22, there's actually a story like that with a prophet named Micaiah. And he tells uh, the king that, uh, hey, if you go to this battle, you're going to be destroyed. And Micaiah was always the negative guy. He was always <laughs> So the king didn't even want to talk to Micaiah, actually. But he does, and Micaiah tells him, no, you're, you're going to be destroyed. And he didn't want to hear that, and so he, he jails Micaiah, and that's the last we hear of Micaiah. So we don't, we don't know what happened to him. We don't know if he died in, in jail. But that's what you get for being a prophet, you know, <laughs> and telling somebody the truth that they don't want to hear. And I'm going to keep going here and tell that story from 1 Kings 22, but there is, there is a lesson in that for us, that most of us want to hear the news that we're biased toward. We want to hear what we consider to be good news. So you've got a news channel that you watch. I don't know what it is, but you've got one or two. And you watch them because they tell you what you want to hear. They tell you how bad the other side is. And we've got all sorts of stuff. So if you're liberal, you can watch all day liberals telling you how bad the conservatives are. And if you're conservative, you can watch a channel telling you all day how bad the liberals are. And the truth is, honestly, from both of them, you're not generally getting news. You're not generally getting information. You're getting propaganda. But we keep going back because they're telling us what we want to hear. And they know what the audience wants to hear, and they, and they give it to them. So we're living in a day, honestly, a very dangerous day of not, of not news, but disinformation. And disinformation coming from, coming from all sides. All right. So here is, you know, here is, uh, here is this, uh, this king. He decides to jail Micaiah. He goes to, uh, to war. And Micaiah told him, hey, you do this, you're going to be destroyed. So that's the last we, we hear of, of him. But during this battle, a certain man drew his bow at random, and he struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. Now, it's not marksmanship that we're talking about. This is a stray arrow fulfilling prophecy. So the king says to his chariot driver, turn around, carry me out of the battle. I'm wounded. The battle continues that day. The king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians until at evening he died. And the blood of the wound flowed into the bottom of the chariot. And so how is it that God fulfills that prophecy? This soldier from who knows where launches this arrow, and God says, in effect, there's the spot. And dead. And so God is in control of everything that happens. The Bible teaches it in stories like that, and then it happens in our experience as well. So what do we take from this? Bottom of page 28. If the Lord wills. James, who wrote the book of James, is concerned with people who get angry at providence, get angry at weather, and other things like that. And he says, 
Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Now he's saying that that person who thinks they're in control like that, or thinks they should be in control like that, that's the same mindset that we bring to the weather, and so we get angry at what happens. But this all should be very humbling for us, so that we don't think we should be in control. We recognize that we're not ultimately in control, and we're thankful for a good God who is. So what is wrong with that? Well, it's because of the mindset that we're bringing to it. You have to put a maybe in there. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So that's why I got in the habit several years ago of trying to, if you get a text or an email from me and we set an appointment, I say, I will see you, Lord willing. And it's just a way for me to remind myself that I don't control my own calendar. I set my calendar, but God controls it. And so if the Lord wills, then we will, then we will do this. Now, we'll look at page 29 to, to end here in a moment. But have you ever considered how it points to the mercy of God that we're surprised when bad things happen? Let me say it again. It points to the goodness and mercy of God that we're actually surprised when bad things happen. You see, because he is so good and merciful, bad things are the exception and not the rule. In a fallen world, how ought that to be? In a fallen world run by fallen creatures who have rebelled against God, bad things ought to be the rule rather than the exception. They could be, couldn't they? Justly by God, they could be the rule so that you're surprised when something good happens. But we're surprised when bad things happen. And I'm telling you, friends, the fact that we are surprised when bad things happen points to the goodness and mercy of God. Because He has made His goodness and His mercy the rule rather than the exception. And it's only because of His mercy, because indeed this is a fallen world and we are fallen people, and He would be right in order to, in order to have us experience the consequences of that fallenness. All right, last page, page 29. Providence makes us sing, or it should. And so we should, you know, sing about nature and think about nature and think about what it says about God and the glory of God. And so here's a wonderful hymn, I Sing the Mighty Power of God. And it says, There's not a plant or flower below but makes your glories known, and clouds arise and tempests blow by order from your throne. While all that borrows life from you is ever in your care, and everywhere that we can be, you, God, are present there. I mean, is that beautiful or what? Oh, worship the King. 
O tell of his might and sing of his grace, whose robe is the light, whose canopy is space, his chariots of wrath, the deep thunderclouds form, and dark is his path on the wings of the storm. You know, they don't write songs like that much no more. They do. There are some good hymn writers now, but not much. Okay? Those are classics. And all of this applies even when you're playing Scrabble. Okay? Here's Proverbs 16. The, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So you're just, you know, I don't, I don't know what you say. I, I've, on, on, I've seen on, uh, you guys remember the Bowery Boys? Yeah. Anybody old enough to the Bowery Boys? And they used yeah. to, you know, play and they would do all these. And so anyway, they're, they're saying uh, boxcars. I think boxcars are if you get all two sixes because it looks like a boxcar. Snake eyes is if you get two, two ones. You got okay. Yeah. <laughs> so baby needs a new pair of shoes. And you're, you're, so you're rolling the dice. But anyway, when you're rolling the dice, you know, it's just like it's chance what's going to come up. And here's the Lord saying, you know, even when you roll dice or you play Scrabble, any of that, none of that, that it's every decision is from the Lord. So those who frequent the casinos do so hoping it's their lucky day. But luck, good or bad, has nothing to do with anything that happens, whether in the casino, whether playing Scrabble, or anything else in God's universe. It's according to His design, good, good, or bad, good, for His ultimate good purpose. Let's commit this to the Lord and ask Him to help us to think about it this coming week, okay? Father, thank you for the blessings of this Lord's Day. We thank you for the opportunity to have sung praise to you, uh, to give back to you, to pray to you, and to learn of you. Lord, we thank you for giving us your word and allowing us to, to read it and to study it and to see your character displayed there and including your mercy, your judgment, your, your power, your, your knowledge, your authority. So we thank you for that. Thank you for reminding us about the mission to which you have called us and the privilege that it is to be able to be engaged in it. Lord, we look forward to your kingdom come. We look forward to reigning with the Lord Jesus Christ because we have a, a reconciled relationship with him through his person and work. And Lord, we thank you for this lesson focused upon how you use everything in your world to accomplish your purposes. So help me to remember that this afternoon. Help us to remember that this coming week. In this room, there, is, there are represented uh, people who are going to receive news that we don't want this, this week. And help us to prepare our hearts, Lord, for that. To remember that you are behind it all and that you are in control of it all. And help us, Lord, if we get another snowstorm this week, to look at it and to have it to remind us of you and your power and your work in your world. Come what may, focus our minds upon you. May we have God-centered minds and hearts this afternoon and this week, bringing that to every circumstance that you decree for our lives. We ask you to grant us safety and bring us back together next Lord's Day. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.